Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We tell the stories of the pioneers and innovators building businesses in hemp across the U.S. The Lime Binder isn't really the bottleneck for uh, the wider spread hemp creed adoption in the U.S., but uh, the permitting is the uh, real hang-up right now to seeing a larger volume of hempcrete projects going into the ground. Have you ever wanted to work with hempcrete? This week's guest has been involved in over 25 hempcrete builds in the U.S. and is one of the leading suppliers of hempcrete binder, an essential ingredient in hempcrete construction. We sit down with Ty Olson of U.S. Heritage Group to discuss their binder, hempcrete construction, and some of the challenges in permitting hempcrete in the U.S. And I'm co-host Cameron McIntosh, and this is the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Before we launch into our episode, let's take a moment for a sponsor, Hempicator. Hempicator is the largest internet directory for industrial hemp with over 1,600 listings in 39 categories, plus hemp-related news, events, and jobs. If you are looking for hemp-related products, services, or resources, check out Hempicator at hempicator.com. All right, Ty. Uh, so welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Could you first start out by introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Ty Olson. I'm the Director of Operations at U.S. Heritage Group. We're a company that manufactures hempcrete lime binders, as well as another or a number of other lime-based uh, building products. And uh, we've been involved in the hemp construction industry in the U.S. for about 10 years. And can you give us a little information about your background? Sure. So uh, I started out as a civil engineer, but was always interested in sustainable building systems. So uh, I happened to uh, come across U.S. Heritage through American Lime Technology uh, a couple of years ago and had some exposure to the hempcrete building system right after I got out of college. I saw a couple of the original builds that were being done down in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And then when I moved up to Chicago, I found out that they were based out of here and just realized there was a really cool system and I wanted to be able to do some work with it. And so is U.S. Heritage Group still uh, involved with um, Lime Technology? Uh, we are in a way. Lime Technology or American Lime Technology was a bit of a joint venture between Lime Tech UK, who are the folks who invented what's pretty much the current modern hempcrete system and U.S. Heritage Group, which had the uh, background uh, construction and basically chemistry knowledge to do these kinds of blends and mixes. And uh, American Lime Technology was more of a way for people to uh, get the consulting, the training, the uh, actual building advice they needed, and then have a source to actually purchase these materials through. Uh, when we first started up, we were importing everything from Europe because that was the only place we had appropriate hemp and lime binders for the use in these hempcrete structures. But uh, as we've moved uh, the supply chain back to, into the American domestic market, uh, American Lime Technology uh, is still around, but more in just a uh, advice and consulting capacity. And pretty much all of the manufacturing and material sales is done through U.S. Heritage. And so you're uh, no longer importing the raw materials for your lime binder? That's correct. Uh, our lime binders are made in the U.S. We actually blend them in-house ourselves. 
And then the hemp herd, we are sourcing through a couple of partners uh, throughout the country or throughout North America who are able to process the stock of the hemp plant into a usable herb form. And uh, for those that don't know, what what is lime? What is lime binder? And is it common? Is it rare in the U.S.? Where, where do you get this sort of thing? Lime at its core is one of the oldest building materials on earth. Uh, essentially, if you take limestone and you fire it in a kiln, it turns into what's called quicklime, which is a fairly uh, reactive substance. At that point, you can mix some water with it and it will have a very hot bubbly reaction and convert into either a uh, putty form or a powdered form. Uh, the powdered form is the kind of lime that most folks are familiar with. It's the kind of lime you get at agricultural stores for changing your soil pH. It's the kind of lime you mix with uh, Portland cement in order to make concrete or other types of mortars. Uh, it's used in steel manufacturing. It's used all over uh, the industrial and agricultural the United States. But uh, it does really come in a couple of different forms. So the kind of lime that you can buy at your local uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever is not actually the correct type of lime for use in construction of certain types. It's more meant to be a uh, admix uh, combined with other substances in order to get it to a useful form. Uh, so the limes that are used in hempcrete construction are actually of a hydraulic nature, whereas standard uh, lime that you get at the construction supply store is a hydrated lime. And so what is the basic composition um, as far as you're willing to share of, uh, of a hempcrete binder? So at its base, simplest uh, level, a hempcrete binder is primarily lime with some sort of hydraulic component, either naturally occurring in it, in the case of natural hydraulic limes, or uh, added to it at a later Point, which would either be the pozzolanic or artificial hydraulic lines or any other types of hydraulic uh, admixes that can be combined with limes. Uh, functionally, you could mix Portland cement with lime in order to make a hempcrete binder, but the chemical and physical properties of Portland cement make it so it won't work as well as other uh, mixes that can create that hydraulic reaction. But at its simplest, uh, a hempcrete binder just needs to be a lime-based binder with some sort of hydraulic component. And yours does not include uh, Portland cement, correct? The U.S. Heritage binder? Correct. Yeah. We have no Portland cement in our mix. Uh, ours is a mix of uh, primarily high calcium hydrated lime in a powdered form. And then it's combined with some uh, proprietary pozzolans and some other admixes in order to improve the workability and the setting. In 10 years, Ty, or as long as you've been uh, a participant in that time frame, um, how has the demand for lime binders for hempcrete changed or has it changed? In terms of the use for hempcrete, it's been pretty stable. Uh, the lime binder isn't really the bottleneck for uh the widespread hempcrete adoption in the U.S. Uh, like I said, at its base form, people can mix lime and Portland cement together to make a form of a hempcrete binder. And that's what a lot of the earlier adopters that weren't really going through an engineered system were doing. And it's similar to what you would do as sort of a do-it-yourself straw veil adaptation of hempcrete. 
Um, the big differences we've seen is that the lime is a fairly heavy component of the hempcrete, and so not having to ship that from overseas has helped to bring the cost of the material down significantly. Uh, we are less than half the price of what the system was when it was first being imported uh, internationally. So we're definitely seeing a growing interest in uh, hempcrete and the materials for it. Um, the two biggest factors that were really preventing it from early adoption were the cost of it and the permitting and regulatory issues of it. So the cost issue has mostly worked itself out and will continue to improve over time as more and more hemp processing and hemp herd sources become available. But uh, the permitting is the uh, real hang up right now to seeing a larger volume of hempcrete projects going into the ground. And so what, is it, what does it take then, um, you know, permit-wise to get uh, cleared to use hempcrete in your experience? What, what are people having to do to be able to use hempcrete on their projects? The research for hempcrete has been done already, but it's basically been done according to the European building standards. So what it really takes is working with a building or a permitting official who is open to non-traditional building materials. And there are definitely parts of the country that are much more restrictive towards their openness of doing things a little differently. Um, basically, they need to accept some building standards that don't fall into the standard American building codes. Uh, the biggest issues of those having to do with uh, vapor barriers on the envelopes of walls. The standard method of construction in the U.S. is to create a fully vapor and airtight uh, envelope of a building that will prevent any air or moisture flow in and out of it. And then you control all of your air and moisture throw through mechanical systems or HVAC systems. The European style of building is to create airtight but vapor permeable building envelopes so that you can have passive moisture evaporation through the walls. And this is one of the characteristics that makes him create perform as well as it does and really perform beyond what it's our rating or U rating, depending on how you're measuring it, would indicate. But it means that you have to go against what's basically a standardized U.S. building code and not use vapor barriers. So you really have to work to get them to an accept or get them to accept an alternate form of building and you can show them the evidence, but what it really comes down to is, are they willing to sign off on something that doesn't meet basically a rubber stamp code requirement? So there's really no guarantee that you'd be able to build with hempcrete um, in any any one municipality or in any state. Um, it's just kind of it kind of ends up being a matter of who you're talking to. For the most part, uh, there is a lot of reciprocity you can get out of a. Uh, first hempcrete project. So once you're able to get one project in the ground in a state, it really eases the process of getting other uh, projects into the ground. What it would really take is a some sort of uh, modification or some sort of addition to the uh, ICC building code standards in order to get hempcrete into a form it could be just rubber stamped through any permitting. But that's a process that takes a significant amount of uh, time and money that we as uh, U.S. Heritage and American Lime Technology just haven't had the 
resources to undertake. And can you describe what ICC testing is, what what the acronym stands for, and and how much something like that costs? Yeah, so the ICC is the International Code Council. Uh, they're basically a body that writes and updates and modifies the building codes that are generally accepted across the U.S. There are certain municipalities that will have extra levels of building code built onto them. Usually it's environmentally related, so things like hurricane and seismic standards. But overall, the ICC is accepted as the building code standards for pretty much all of North America, and that includes the U.S. and Canada. Um, like I said, that current ICC standards are for the inclusion of vapor barriers in wall systems. Um, but there are certain examples that have uh, gotten around that, and they're essentially different uh, appendix sections of the International Code Council regarding different types of building systems. Uh, notable ones that you guys would probably be familiar with are uh, straw bale construction and uh, lightweight clay straw construction. So these are two building systems that have gotten pushed through the ICC testing process that do offer an alternate building style. And basically we would need to get hempcrete passed through a similar process to get a uh, appendix to the code that would allow it to build the way it needs to be built and not add extra things to it that would essentially negate the performance of the hempcrete. And what's the best way to make that happen? Uh, well, we've been trying to figure that out for, like I said, close to 10 years. Uh, we've worked with the Canadian government for a while to try and secure funding to go through the testing. Um, that ended up having a little bit of a setback due to some changes in the way they were setting up their processing facilities. So at this point, there's not really any real plan for moving forward with it. Uh, but essentially, it's a fairly large investment. Uh, the quotes that we got when we were working through it were between three hundred and $500,000. And it basically creates an open source uh, permitting or coding uh, exception. That means that anyone who wants to build with hempcrete can build with hempcrete as they follow this code requirement. So it's something that while we are very interested in getting up and running, it would be something that whoever is going to pay for it is not going to have any ability to control it. It's just going to become an open system. And because of that, it's really something that would need to be done as a joint effort from a larger group of hemp building minded individuals because no individual or company would really be able to justify the resources. Yeah, that's a, that's an incredible amount of money. Um, and again, like you said, it wouldn't be any one company's, um, you know, intellectual property then, right? It would be open source. So yeah, it, it becomes the part of the international uh, building code. So and then what's the difference between ICC and ASTM? Is, is there a difference? Yes, yes. So ICC is actually building codes and specific uh, standards for building uh, configurations, technologies, things like that. The ASTM is basically the governing body that standardizes all measurements. So ASTM for building materials would do things like it would measure the R value of a material. It would measure the 
flame retardancy of a material, the permeability. It measures the strength of concrete and steel. It's purely a measurement uh, industry or a measurement governing body. But a lot of the measurements that they make are needed for proper building code compliance and permitting. So ASTM testing is actually something that's a lot more uh, immediately available for folks who are trying to do work with hempcrete. Um, from the work we've done with different building officials, uh, getting them to sign off on hempcrete projects usually comes down to proving that thermally it will meet the requirements that they need and uh, fire-wise it will meet the requirements they need. And so we've actually done some early testing with both thermal and fire uh, testing with hempcrete. And then there are a couple of other companies that are going through with that process. Uh, the difference between that and the uh, ICC is that the ASTM would be tested for specific products or brands and also configurations. Uh, but as a part of ICC testing, you would establish some standardized blend that would be applicable to all Hemp Creek's construction, and then you would make that part of that testing. But like I was saying, the uh, ASTM testing is not anywhere near the level of uh, financial resource that the ICC testing is, though it is still uh, fairly significant. Um, different levels of testing can range anywhere from $15,000 to $50,000. If someone wants to build with hempcrete in, let's say, like an urban environment or for some sort of commercial structure, would ASTM testing be enough? Or do you think it would be, you know, will we need to have that full ICC before, again, before it becomes like a mainstream accepted everywhere building material? So I believe that commercial construction would require ICC compliance, but I think urban residential construction would not. For commercial construction, there's an extra level of liability and uh, just safety factors that have to go in because of the public use of the space that uh, it's very difficult to get allowances for commercial constructions except in case of more artistic types of things. For residential, uh, typically you can work with uh, urban or suburban, rural, basically any type of building official if you have the right type of testing, but it really just comes down to finding the right one who's willing to work for you right. or work with you. Well, another factor of the ASTM testing is that it's laboratory testing, which is going to be in different conditions than you see on the field. Um, the thermal testing we did with our uh, ASTM standards, we were getting results that were different from what the exact same uh, mixes and blends were getting out of the European testing standards because there was a different method for the testing. Um, specifically, the ASTM testing measures your R value per inch using a one foot by one foot block of a material, uh, whereas the European standards use the entire pre-made wall assembly. So you're going to know exactly how that kind of wall will conform or will perform versus how one inch of this material will perform within the wall. And the differences in the performance measurements 
of those two different types of uh, testing were significantly different. So hempcrete performs a lot better than it tests just because of sort of the restrictions of how you can really test the material in that particular. Uh, so wouldn't it be more accurate though, Ty, to test the entire wall? It would. And there are different ASTM testing for full wall assembly. Uh, but at the same time, that is a more significant uh, cost of testing. That's closer to that $50,000 range I mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dig in a little bit to, um, your specific binder. Um, we were talking the other day about how, uh, you recommend leaving the form work in place for three days time. Is that correct? Yes. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier at its base level, all hempcrete binders are lime with some sort of hydraulic component into it. The hydraulic component means that it's the portion of the binder that reacts with water in order to build a crystalline structure and basically lock all of the hemp particles together. Uh, but that means that it needs to have a constant source of water in contact with the binder in order to run that reaction. And typical hydraulic reactions will run for around three days. Some will go longer, some will finish a little shorter. But three days is what we've seen as a good, uh, most binders will operate in that time frame. So even though hempcrete is a very wet product after you cast it, it takes weeks for it to dry out. The surface of the hempcrete is actually going to start drying out much sooner than that. And especially in certain types of environments where you have a high heat in your casting uh, region, you've got direct sunlight, uh, winds, things like that, it can cause the surface of the hempcrete to dry out a bit faster than you would expect while still retaining a lot of moisture deeper in the wall. So if you were to leave your formwork up for 24 hours, which is what some people say is a standard, then you would have some hydraulic reaction have, or, or you would have had some hydraulic reaction occur in the wall but the surface of it will start to dry out. And as soon as that dries out, you stop the hydraulic reaction and you really can't get it started again. So you get less consolidation and less uh, durability of the surface of your hempcrete wall if you allow it to dry out before that three-day time period. So the three days of formwork after casting is more of a safety feature to make sure, one, that the lime has enough time to really set up over those first three days without drying out. And two, that you're protecting the wall from any accidental impacts during that first three days before it has a chance to really harden up. So it's more of a best practice than something particular to your product. Best practice, definitely. Uh, you can definitely pull the formwork off after 24 hours, hang some plastic over it to help trap the moisture in there and go back and mist it every once in a while if you see it starting to dry out. But that's just a bit of extra labor materials that doesn't really add any benefit to it. Right. So if you're um, coordinated in your install and if you know you have enough form work for the size project that you're doing, then you can kind of incorporate that into the, uh, into the process, correct? Yeah, it's really going to depend on the size of your project. Uh, we've done castings that have lasted three to four days for a total project and castings that have lasted four plus weeks. Uh, 
so on a longer project, you definitely get a lot more turnaround on your uh, formwork, being able to move it to other sections of the building. On a much faster cast, you might end up having to form up the entire building all in one go and then pull it off all at once. Uh, it really just depends on the design details and how you're going to plan out your casting schedule. So Hempcrete construction, depending on where you live, can be seasonal. Can you go lower than 40 degrees? Just like with the uh, three-day formwork, the 40 degrees is a best practice. Uh, we've worked on projects where we've cast in the winter and we've tinted and heated the building site. Uh, that project taught us that while you can do it like that, I would really never recommend doing it like that. The uh, unintended consequence of it is that by tinting and heating a job site, you're essentially creating a greenhouse. So the hempcrete was not able to actually dry at all. All of the moisture coming out of it was trapped in a plastic bubble with the building. Um, on the other side, we've worked on projects where the casting was started and then it ran into a patch of bad weather. So they actually stopped the casting for the season and started it back up in the spring once they were able to get the temperatures back to where they needed to be and had no issues with their uh, casting at all there. But what the biggest thing is, is that you really need ideally 28 days of above 40 degree temperatures. Uh, if it drops down into the 30s for a couple hours at night, uh, that's not really an issue. But the biggest problem with uh, getting down into colder temperatures, especially down into freezing temperatures, is that if the lime binder that is still uh, building up the crystalline matrix of lime crystals in the hempcrete as it's curing, if that gets too cold, it slows down the reaction. It will speed back up once it gets warm. But if that gets so cold that the moisture within the wall freezes, it will fracture all of the lime uh, crystal bonds and it basically causes the hempcrete to lose a lot of its cohesion. So you run a risk of your hempcrete walls not really gaining the uh, consolidation and the strength that they would normally have. And is there anything that you can do to encourage the carbonation or the, or the uh, non-hydraulic set, the second set? of the lime? That's just sort of a reaction that happens over time. Um, the secondary reaction is carbonation, which is essentially the absorption of carbon dioxide out of the air. Um, the primary way that happens is through vapor transmission. Uh, all of the water vapor that is in the atmosphere absorbs small amounts of carbon dioxide into it. When that gets sucked into the hempcrete walls and is passing through the uh, hempcrete structure, it's going to deposit small amounts of that carbon dioxide into the lime within the structure. And that lime, once it absorbs carbon dioxide, basically converts back to limestone. So there's not a specific way to accelerate it, or at least not a way I'd really recommend. Uh, potentially enhancing the amount of moisture passing through your walls would speed up the process but that would only work once your wall has reached an equalization of the moisture within it, which typically takes around four to six weeks uh, after casting. And that's just the amount of time it takes for enough moisture to evaporate out of the wall that you don't have a, any significant quantity of liquid moisture 
uh, still within the uh, hempcrete structure. Do you think hempcrete construction will become mainstream? I think that it definitely has a lot of opportunity to expand from where it is right now. Uh, at its core, it's a very elegant and high-performing uh, construction method. Uh, in the cast-in-place version that is primarily used right now, it has a restriction of time, the amount of time it takes to cast it, the amount of time it takes to cure and dry it, that's going to make it difficult to get a large amount of acceptance in any sort of uh, commercial or large-scale residential project uh, capacity. But there are other forms of hempcrete that you can work with uh, that would be able to sidestep that time issue. Uh, hempcrete block is something that we, we personally have never directly worked with, but that was how a lot of the original European hempcrete uh, projects were completed, just as a way to simplify and standardize the use of hempcrete and make it so the masons and the uh, contractors who are working with the material we're working with something a little more familiar to them. Uh, the other option is in uh, precast hempcrete panels where you would be able to deliver fully cured and dried uh, hempcrete panels to a job site for fast installation using cranes, forklifts, uh, any type of heavy handling equipment. And that, at that point, it essentially becomes almost a modular building system similar to uh, SIPs or other uh, pre-cast or pre-framed uh, building materials. And a system like that is something that would have a lot more opportunity for a widespread acceptance. How many um, hempcrete homes would you estimate there are in the U.S. right now, Ty? As of 2018, there were a little over 50 hempcrete homes in the U.S. And um, how many of those did uh, has U.S. Heritage Group worked with? Uh, we worked with probably around half of them wow. in some capacity or another. Uh, we've done the direct material sales on a lot of them, but on some of them, we are supplying heard on some of them we're supplying binder on some of them we're just consulting for uh, the pre-construction design or doing training for the construction crews um, there's a couple of folks throughout the country who have a good amount of experience working with hempcrete uh, we like to think that we have some of the highest level of it from uh, anyone who's working with it but there are there are a lot of builders that we've worked with over the years who are really becoming true experts in the field to the point that they're building projects that go off and we just hear about it in the news article and we're like oh well there's that guy we worked with uh he's got it fully under control yeah <laughs> um and where are most of those 50 houses are they sort of spread out all over the place or are they concentrated in one area they're spread out all over the place. Uh, I think the state with the most projects is North Carolina. Uh, they had the very first projects built in Asheville. And then since then, there have been projects all across the state. Uh, we last year actually installed the first ever hempcrete panel project of uh, that sort of system I was uh, describing earlier in Raleigh. Uh, we've done a very nice project out in the coastal Carolinas in Currituck County. And then being in the hempcrete industry, 
most folks know most other folks. So we've seen other builders who are putting together more projects all throughout the state in North Carolina. Um, after that, uh, they are just spread out across the country. We've done projects in Florida, Hawaii, Idaho, Wisconsin, Kentucky. We also were supplying hempcrete to a number of projects in central and northern California, where there has been a bit more of a uh, acceptance of the building material. Uh, trying to build in LA is definitely a uh, it's a uh, labor of love. So, in terms of the herd, is there a difference between the industrial hemp uh, fiber varieties as opposed to the CBD? So there are four major products that you're getting out of an industrial hemp plant. And while it's possible to grow for all four of them, you're basically taking the total energy that the plant is putting into growing itself and splitting it across four different uh, outlets. And that makes it so neither and none of the outlets really perform the way they're supposed to. Uh, the CBD plants... Typically, you're breeding them to put as much energy into the flower, into the growth of the buds and the CBD oils within. And that means that it's not putting as much uh, energy into growing a good, strong and hardy stock or uh, good, uh, robust seed. So typically, you won't get a very good fiber crop or a stock crop out of a CBD plant. Um, that being said... There are some uh, growers who are growing at lower levels of CBD in their plant in order to try and make a uh, double or a triple crop out of the industrial hemp. But as it is right now, almost all CBD growers are growing purely for the maximum level of CBD they can get out of the biomass. And anyone growing for that kind of CBD is not going to have a good stock for uh, any sort of industrial applications. Um, you also have uh, different cultivars that will be good for both seed for uh, basically grain applications and also stock for industrial processing applications. But the growing methods for those two different types are actually a bit different. For the seed crop, you want to plant your hemp uh, stalks uh, a little bit far away from each other. So there's plenty of sunlight so that they can grow up just high enough to get the sunlight they need and then put all of their energy into growing in as much seed as they can. Versus for a stalk or a fiber plant, you want to plant the, uh, you want the plants to be close together so that they have to grow higher and stronger in order to compete for that extra sunshine. And all their energy is going to go into their stalk, not as much as going to go into their seed or into their uh, flower. So while industrial hemp is sort of the same plant, it's grown in a lot of different ways. It's bred for a lot of different traits. And there's not one magic plant that's going to be able to supply all the different supply chains of industrial hemp. Uh, as it is right now, you really have to pick and choose what you want out of your crop. So yeah, so the herd in a, in a CBD stock would be inferior for building, basically, right? Because of the way that it's cultivated. Yes. Uh, if someone has a hempcrete project coming up, uh, how much does it cost? So uh, our current pro cost on our hempcrete binder is $25 for a 50-pound bag. Uh, in typical hempcrete mixes, you would blend 20, or you bend, blend 50 pounds of binder with 35 pounds of herd, 
and that will mix up about five cubic feet of hempcrete. Um, depending on your specific uses, you can adjust that blend a little bit, um, essentially increasing the amount of hemp you would have in it. Uh, for example, for roofing systems where you don't need as much uh, consolidation of the hempcrete, but you need it to have more insulation, we would use a 50 pound to 50 pound mix for that. Um, using hempcrete in the roof systems is sometimes used. Uh, sometimes folks will go for other types of insulating systems. It really depends on the design and how much hemp you want to use in your house. But there are different blends that will give you different performances. So for standard wall blends, the 50 pounds of hemp to 35 of binder is sort of the standard practice. And um, you also supply the herd, correct? Uh, we previously did supply the herd, but at this point we've transitioned over to working with a couple of processing partners and they would be directly supplying the herd. I see. However, we can work with you to get your estimates, coordinate your shipping and manage your delivery of both the lime and the herd, but we are no longer directly involved in uh, herd pr processing or sales. Okay. So we always like to ask this question. Um, if you could imagine, I think we already probably know what the answer is, but if you could imagine a product um, made out of hemp, uh, what would it be if you could wish it into existence? One of the coolest products that I've come across in working with sustainable building that really has no presence in the U.S., but has it quite a bit over in Europe, is something called wood fiberboard. And it's essentially a product where the fibers of uh, pulped wood are treated, cleaned, processed, and then are reconstituted into essentially a rigid structural insulating board, almost like a wood version of uh, some sort of rigid foam insulating board, but as an all-natural product that's also fully vapor permeable and can be used as uh, structural sheathing. And if there was a way to adapt hempcrete, or not hempcrete, but just hemp herd into a similar form of that product, I think that would be one of the best possible hemp construction materials that could be made. Um, it would essentially create a substitute for OSB, for pegboard or particle board, for uh, foam board insulation. Uh, it's something that could potentially replace a lot of products that have both energy and chemical implications in their manufacturing. Huh. So that's sort of like my moonshot product, but uh, one that I don't have the uh, technical know-how or resources to make happen. There you but go. I think it would be a very, very cool. Um, so if someone is looking to do a project um, and wants to use uh, U.S. Heritage Lime Binder and or your consulting services, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can email us at... Uh, Olson at usheritage.com or give us a call. Um, the best practice is to get involved with us during your initial design phase. Uh, one of the main things we want to do on any project we work on is make sure that it's a project that should use hempcrete. Uh, hempcrete can be used in a lot of cases, but there are some that it's not the best option or it's not a good option at all. 
Hempcrete does a lot of cool things, but it does have some restrictions, especially with regards to different types of uh, water exposure sources. So for example, you never want to use hempcrete in a foundation. Uh, hempcrete also really does need that permeability in order to function correctly. So we get a lot of inquiries from folks who want to use hempcrete in uh, shipping container construction. And that's another case in which hempcrete just really is not the right material. So if you want to build with hempcrete, uh, we're here to support you. We're here to help you and make sure that you've got the best information and the best uh, resources you can. But at the same time, if you're trying to do something that's uh, too different, it may come down to hempcrete not being the right material for it. And the most important thing to us is just that any building that you do construct with hempcrete is going to have the best performance it can. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Ty. So please like, share, and subscribe to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast to hear more about people like Ty. We are your weekly source of hemp industry enlightenment, and we look forward to hearing from entrepreneurs who are inspired by something they heard. And if you're listening and a hemp entrepreneur, please reach out and get in touch with us.